Please take your seats. So we're up to uh, chapter 33 of the book of Numbers, which means we're almost done with the book of Numbers. One of the things you can do for me uh, in the days ahead, if you think about it, is pray for me to think about what to do next. I haven't arrived at that yet. Weirdly, I know what I'm going to do starting in Advent this year, but between oh, the next couple of weeks and Advent, I haven't figured that out yet. <clears throat> and we're going to do something beginning at Advent we've never done before. It's going to be really a great thing for a year, and I'll tell you about that when we get to it. Um, but uh, between now and then, i got to think of something to do. And that's the hardest thing about my job is what to do next. The, the reason I preach through books is because what's next is what's next. And so I don't, have to, uh, I don't have to think about that. So we're up to Numbers 33. Now, the thing about Numbers 33 to keep in mind, uh, as uh, Roger already said is, and as I pointed out in my letter, is there are a lot of place names here that you've never heard of, that you can't pronounce, and the words, and they set out, are repeated over 40 times. I was going to give you the false hope this morning. Well, no, I wasn't. I don't believe in false hope. Uh, that uh, it would get cooler in here. But it might be. I can't tell. They're working on it. But because I can't give you a false hope that it's going to get cooler... And because there's no children's worship, I'm only going to read nine verses of this <laughs> this morning, uh, just so that you get the drift and you don't drift off, okay? Ha ha. So, um, uh, because this is, this is repetitive and there are a lot of names here that are hard to uh, pronounce, and frankly, uh, as you'll see as we work through this, uh, of what significance? Hard to know. So, um, um, but we'll get to that when we get to that. So let me read to you chapter, uh, uh, Numbers chapter 33, verses 1 uh, through 9. That text is printed in the bulletin. Uh, well, actually, we're going to, yeah, through 9, through, uh, through verse 9. It's in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. These are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by command of the Lord. And these are the stages according to their starting places. They set out from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day of the first month. On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, on their gods also the Lord executed judgments. So the people of Israel set out from Ramses and encamped at Sukkot, and they set out from Sukkot and encamped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. And they set out from Etham and turned back to Pihiroth, which is east of Baal Zephon, and they camped before Migdal, and they set out from before Hahiroth and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness, and they went a three days journey in the wilderness of Etham and camped at Marah, and they set up from Marah and came to Elam. At Elam, there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there. So uh, I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, travel logs and recounting about what people have done in their lives and where they went and all that kind of stuff. 
Uh, there's some things that if you were to tell me the travelogue of your life, I would be interested in, not as interested as you. Um, but there'd be some things I would want to hear from you. Those, I would find those things interesting and other things not so interesting. And so, uh, one of the, one of the things that, uh, strikes me about this text is, and, and kind of the way we think about our lives is that there is a lot of history on this travel, on this road from, from Egypt to, uh, the promised land over 40 years. And just imagine if on all of these places there were historical markers. You know, historical markers, those silver things that they put up on the side of the road to say, you know, something, something happened here. I pass a historical marker on my way to work every day. There's one near the corner of uh, Quiocasan and uh, Pemberton Road, Tommy Edwards. It's all in the game. Jazz musician. I read it regularly because I'm stopped at that stoplight. It's a stupid stoplight. I have to stop there all the time when nothing's coming. It gets stuck a lot. I've run that red light more than I've actually stopped at it because <laughs> it, it takes too long to get through there. Uh, and I got to get to work. But um, so I read that thing at least three or four times a week. And a couple of things flashed through my mind. One is, wow, I'm older than him when he died. Jazz musicians live hard lives. <laughs> and glad I'm not a jazz musician. Hope I don't live a hard life like a jazz musician and die before my time like he did. That's what I think every time I go by there. So I think, you know, it has its point, right, that there are these historical markers all over the place. I think Virginia might have more than any other state. I think I read that one time. Uh, and so they're, they're all over the place. Well, that's kind of what we find in this text is a series over these uh, uh, 49 verses here of historical markers uh, that span a period of over 40 years for the people of God as they went from uh, being slaves and not really knowing God there in Egypt to him getting them prepared to go to the, to the promised land. And so there they are on the banks of the Jordan River. They can see the promised land. And what God commands Moses to do is to take pen to paper and write this kind of travelogue of all these places they had been and all these things that had happened. And so, so that's worthwhile for us to do, right? It's good for us to take the time to look back and to think a little bit about what God has done, how he has led, and how he has provided. And so... That's exactly what, uh, what this, what this text does. But there are some things in this text, uh, that are going to kind of change the way and reorient the way we typically think about the faithfulness of God and the way in which He works in our lives. So go ahead and put my, put my notes up there, AJ. That's good. So this, the way we're going to get at this this morning is we're going to take this travelogue and we're going to see the way that you can, you can divide it up, right? It, and it divides in a number of ways. So the first one is uh, the first four verses matter the most in this chapter. And that shouldn't be surprising. But there's something interesting and profound about this uh, that, we should, that, that we should think about. Let me, let me go back and read these first four verses uh, uh, to you again. These are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. 
Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by command of the Lord, and these are their stages according to their starting places. They set out from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day of the first month on the day after the Passover. The people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods also the Lord executed judgments. It is so important. In fact, these first four verses are the verses that matter the most in the chapter, and they are the ones that recount to us uh, more detail about what happened in a particular place than any of the other verses. And that's important for us to lay hold of. It's just so important for us to get, get a handle on that today. Because what God wants them to remember, and it's a very profound thing that he says there is, he says, you left Egypt on the day after the Passover. What do we know about the Passover? We know about the Passover that that is the means whereby God, through the shedding of blood and the destruction of the firstborn, delivered his people from Egypt. And so just imagine what that must have been like. So on the day after the Passover, these slaves, these oppressed people, march out triumphantly past their oppressors who are all going to funerals to bury their dead firstborn. Because in their pride, they had oppressed the people of God, and even more so, they had uh, pridefully rejected the command of God to let the people go. What a profound picture that is, right? That at the very beginning... That God wants the people to remember, this all got started. Your life with me in many ways began at the Passover, where I redeemed you, where I saved you. And everything else that happens after that comes because of that. Because you have been redeemed by me, because you are united to me, because you are my people, and because I have done this work for you, everything else flows from that. That's what matters. <clears throat> it's important for us to kind of lay hold of that at, at the very beginning. Uh, because what really matters about this, this travelogue is, is the beginning and ultimately the end. Now, I, I want to say something that, that's really key for us to, to understand this at the very beginning. That God takes this time to take these four verses to describe the deliverance of his people. The most important thing about you today, the most important thing about you today is whether or not you belong to the people of God through the work of Jesus Christ. It is more important than financial success. It is more important than reputational success. It is more important than success in your family. It is more important than anything else. It matters. Because if if you are not united to Christ, if you are not redeemed by him, if you have not experienced the work of Christ for you and the shedding of his blood for you, drawing you to himself, redeeming you, it doesn't matter if every other turn and every other stop in your life is a success or not. Now, that you know, here I am up here yelling at you about this in a room that's too hot about something that you really don't believe. 
And the reason why I know you don't believe it is because I struggle to believe it. Would you rather have your kids make straight A's, be a success in life, or have a faithful relationship with their Savior? Would you rather get that raise or know in the bottom of your heart that Jesus Christ owns you and that you belong to him? Would you rather have people speak well of you because you're a success and you look good and you got the right resume than the fact that Jesus Christ knows you and he speaks well of you? This matters. It matters at the beginning of our lives with him. And that's why he spends so much time and energy speaking to us about this. Because this determines not only our destiny, but who goes with us in that destiny. The blood of Jesus Christ, his death for us, his resurrection for us, his his union with us is the determining factor of where the travelogue of my life goes in the good times and the bad times, in the stages where where it is peaceful and blessed, in the stages where it is dark and ugly, and in the stages where I am in rebellion against this God who has tied himself to me. And so it should not surprise you that right out of the bat, right off the bat, right out of the chute, the very beginning thing that God wants his people to know about this 40-year trip is that he redeemed them and that he's faithful. So important. But it's not just that he redeemed them. Look at what verse 9 says. And they set out from Marah, and they came to Elam. And at Elam, there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there. It's a unique kind of detail that Moses includes there. Not only did God redeem his people, not only did he turn back their enemies, not only did he do those things, but he took them to places where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. He will care for you. He'll take care of you. You can trust him. If you belong to him, he will care for you and you can trust him. The problem with that is I don't like palm trees. Right? I like, uh, I don't know, I like apple trees. That's what I really like, right? But the fact is, this is mentioned here because not only did he redeem them, but he sees what they need here and now to do and to go where he needs them to do and to go, and he provides for them in that. Such, so, such a, such a, so isn't it funny, out of all these things, over 40 years, all of these places, Moses wants them to remember. Remember that time we stopped and there were the springs and the palm trees, right? Because we'd forget that. But that's a reminder to them of the fact that God will, will provide for them over and over. But there's something else to note about this too. There are places on here, of course, that remind us not just of God's faithfulness, but of our faithlessness. Verse 9 says this. And they set out from Mara. You remember Mara? You may not have remembered that. They may not be a name that stands out to you, but that's the place where the people of God complained and they didn't like the water and it was bitter and things got off the rails in a hurry. In fact, the New Testament cites this. It was a dark place, a terrible place, where the people of God said, you brought us out here to kill us. 
It would be better for us that you were not our God and you were not our people and we went back to Egypt. That would be better. Now, if I were writing this story about the travelogue of my life and I were God, not only would I talk a lot about my faithfulness, but I would be saying, hey, remember this? You should be ashamed. Do you remember when you did that? You should be, well, while I'm on the topic of Mara, let's talk about that. Even if for no other reason, for your own good, that I said, don't do the stupid things that you did in, in the past. But God doesn't do that. Now, sometimes what we carry around with us is this viewpoint that the God is balanced. Right? That he's balanced. Well, he doesn't, he's not balanced in the story that he tells here. Yes, he majors on his faithfulness, but he doesn't major on our shamefulness and our sinfulness. He says it. Yeah, I got you tomorrow. But he doesn't unpack for us all the things that we did. You know, that's, that's an important thing for us because in your mind and in your head, I'm sure you spend about as much time thinking about the faithfulness of God. You also spend way too much time. You should stop it about your failure. Repent of it. The best thing is a God whose mercies are new every morning. It's not just that he's faithful to get us there, but he's faithful in the fact that he doesn't continue to hold against us our failures and our sin. Now, that's that's one of the ways I know God's not like me. Because I can get a lot of mileage out of, hey, remember when you did this? We are settling uh, my parents' estate. They both died in the last two years. And there's a tiny, tiny little bit of money. And uh, she's been working on some of that. And a few weeks ago, months ago, a friend of mine called me who was coming through the West End. And he said, hey, I'm going to go over to Cabela's. I got to pick up a couple of things. You want to go with me? And I said, yeah. Now, if I could, I'd buy everything at Cabela's. And I know you think that is the dumbest store ever and there's nothing in there of value or worth and you're free to have that opinion. And that's what's great about the church is that we can, you know, know each other are wrong and still love each other. So... Um, I just, I just love, I love that store. So, uh, I told Marty, she's sitting there next to me in the car. Hey, I'm going to meet so-and-so over at Cabela's in a little bit. And so rather than say, Hey, that's great. Or anything like that. We haven't been talking about anything like this out of the blue. She says, Hey, you know, my brother, you know, when his wife died 15 years ago and he inherited all that money, he wasted it all on a boat. And I'm, my first thought was, did I say I was going to go buy a boat? And so when you throw the gauntlet down in front of me on something like that, I'm like, you're just reeling me in to be a smart aleck. So I said, yeah, I thought about that. I'm going to get a better boat. <laughs> yeah. 
let's remember our failures and everyone else's failures as a, that's a good weapon that I can use against you to monitor and to shape and direct your behavior and control you. God says Mara because they stopped there and terrible things happened there. But does he catalog once again for the people of God their rebellion? No. God's out of balance. He is way more. The, his, his bent towards us, his heart towards us is bent way more towards grace and mercy than it is towards reminding us over and over again of our failures and our shame. Right? And then, thirdly, and this is the vast majority of the things in these verses, are places where, as far as we can tell, nothing happened. We camped there, and nothing happened. As far as we can tell, nothing happened. You know, they, they, they ate some manna, they drank some water, they built some fires, they hung out, nothing happened. Mundane. Now, you know, in 2018 America, that's unacceptable. No day, no life can be mundane, right? Everything has to be super significant, super important. Well, my life has um, uh, historical markers in it too. And my historical markers say on this day in July 2018, nothing happened. Nothing happened. A vast majority of my days are I get up, I go to work, I pass Tommy Edwards' sign, and I think I don't want to live like a jazz musician. And I get to work, and I do my job, and I go to the gym, and I work out, and I go home, and I eat some dinner, and I think, Jesus, help me to stay awake until 10 o'clock, because if I fall asleep at 7.30 when I want to, I'll be up at 4, and that's not good. And I try to read, and I try to piddle around the house, And then I get up and I do it again. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Now, the fact is, um, it's okay that nothing happened. Because what mattered is, there was another day where God provided. There was another day where I lived. There was another day where God added one more brick to the building of the story of his continued love and care for me. And though no one saw, no one was even aware, probably, outside of my immediate family, of what happened or what I did or what I didn't do, Jesus saw. He was there. He was with me. And all of these places... Uh, that where nothing happened or all of these places where something big happened really aren't the point. Let me say that again. All these places where something happened or all these places where nothing happened are not the point. They're not the point. The point of your life is not to make things happen or that something happened or something didn't happen, right? Next slide. The point, and as we see this chapter is that it is arranged in a numerical fact, uh, fashion. There are 42 stages, six sets of seven. Now, 
I, I know a lot of you read these books, you know, that people write about the Bible and all this weirdo stuff about numbers and what they mean and all that kind of stuff. I think this is important here, though, for this reason, that the point of this, just like creation, is not just that these things happened, but that God was leading us to a place of rest, that he was leading us to a place of bliss, that he was leading us to a good place, an eternal place, where all of the sin and the darkness and the difficulty of this life would be done away with once and for all. You see, I think that is, that's a pretty profound thing for us uh, to think about today, right? I mean, I think that's something that uh, is, is so important because it is hard for us to understand that the point of this travel log is not the travel log, but the point of the travel log is where it is taking us. That's the thing that matters. That's the thing that is the focus. At the very beginning, God redeems us, and the whole point of our lives after that is to get us to the promised land. And so he does this through all of these stages. None of these stages ultimately matter as much as where it is that he's taking us, where it is that we're going. I think this is, this is a pretty uh, profound um, thing for us to uh, kind of to, to wrap our brains around. Because one of the things that happens to us when we see a travelogue of our lives is we think, you know, I'd like to look back. I like looking back. We're, you know, we're going to have our 25th anniversary. And we should look back. We should remember the faithfulness of God. But one thing we better not do, and one thing that we must avoid like the plague, is to think that there was ever, ever, ever the good old days. No such thing. No such thing. Your best day, your most significant day, your happiest day, your most productive day, your most joyful day, your most pleasurable day. You won't even remember it. Right? Yes, it was a place where God was faithful and he blessed you and he did that. But where he is taking us is what matters. Right? And so... The, the, the thing that we settle in on is we look back and we see the faithfulness of God. And that gives us confidence about the fact that he's taking us someplace better. We look forward. We look forward. And see, one of the things that you have to see about this is repeated over 40 times uh, in this chapter is they set out. They set out. They set out. They're always moving under the providence and the care of God to get to that promised land that he has for them. It's also good to note in this that God sets the travel. He moves them. He leads them. He guides them. He knows their days. He numbers their days. He numbers our days. And so there's no sense in us being uh, caught up in the fact that um, that we must be overwhelmed by the length of our lives or fret about the length of our days or anything like that. The Lord numbers our days and he is taking us where he wants to take us and he will get us to the promised land. That's what matters. Now, let me just say something here uh, to you. Uh, some of us here today um, look at our lives and, and you're either overwhelmed by shame and sin in your past or maybe your present. And so it's hard to think about moving on. It's hard to think about where God's taking you. 
Some of you are living in a place today where it is you're lonely, you're infertile, um, you're sick. And it is hard to think about how God is ever going to get you through this period of time. It's hard to understand how, how you're going to get where you're going. Some of you are stuck in grief. Some of us are, are stuck in, in all sorts of ways. And so it feels like we're on this treadmill that God has stopped taking us anywhere. Well, there are plenty of periods in this travel log where the people of God waited or they were stuck or hard things happened to them. But the point is God was in all of those things, leading them, taking them, making sure that because they were his people, he got them to the promised land. There's a great project going on this year, PBS. Top 100 books. Have you heard about it? No one's heard about this except me. Am I the only person that watches PBS? What is, what is up with that? Does anybody even read books anymore? I don't even, you know, that's, I'm tempted to all sorts of cynicism. Anyway, they're doing a project for the 100 greatest books. My favorite book of all time, the book Gilead, uh, has on the, made the list. So that's why it's a great list, you know. <laughs> I don't know who came up with this list, but they're really bright. They, you know. And I, I, it's, it's a good game to look, go on pbs.org and look at, look this up. You'll see the, 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 the list of books. Gilead's a book, uh, a friend of mine, I recommended it several years ago. Those of you who come here regularly know I quote from it often. Somebody said to me uh, a while ago, you know, I tried to read that book and nothing ever happens in it. And I'm like, well, that's why I like it. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's that's my kind of story where nothing ever happens. Um, it's the story of a pastor. He's 76 years old. He has heart failure. He has a six-year-old son. Um, and he is writing this book uh, because he knows his son will grow up and not know him. The reason why he's 76 and he has a six-year-old son is because when he was in his 20s, he was married and his wife had a little girl that he held briefly long enough for her to open her eyes and look at him, and she died, and then his wife died. And basically, for the next 40-something years, he lives in a dark place, a sad place. You You wouldn't put up with him. You wouldn't put up with me if that were me. The people in this church love him, and they just... They just bear with him. They talk about walking by his house late at night and they can see the light on up in his bedroom. And though he does his work and he cares for the people, he's sad for 40-something years until one day on a Pentecost Sunday, a former prostitute shows up at his church and he marries her. And so as he's writing about his life, he says this, Now that I look back, it seems to me that in all that deep darkness, a miracle was preparing. So I am right to remember it as a blessed time and myself as waiting in confidence, even if I had no idea what I was waiting for. I'm not going to tell you, struggler and sufferer today, that you're in a blessed time. 
I'm not going to tell you that. It's true, but I'm not going to tell you that because it will tempt you beyond what you can bear. But I will urge you to think about what it means to wait in confidence even if you have no idea what you're waiting for. Now that seems stupid to me, maybe to you, to think a little bit about waiting in confidence even if you have no idea what you're waiting for. If you are in Christ today, you are waiting whether you're happy, satisfied, or you're struggling and disappointed, you are waiting in confidence and you don't have any idea ultimately what you're waiting for. Except you have the promise of Jesus that you belong to him and where he is, you will be. As we come to the Lord's table today, that's good for us to be reminded as we look back at what Jesus has done for us and we anticipate where he will take us. The disciples prepared the Passover and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve and they were reclining at the table and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together.